You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Um. My name is Thomas Bendit. I'm the the manager over here at, at BT Powerhouse. Um, conference play rolling on. Um, we're in mid February, uh, less than a month until Selection Sunday. It's a it's an exciting time for college basketball, uh, an eventful time. And uh, you know, last weekend's set of games might have been the best set uh, of all all season for the Big Ten to be to be honest. Um, and certainly, you know, we're coming up on excuse me, some, some big games this week, some big, big games beyond that. Um, and, you know, we haven't done a podcast in a while, so I wanted to get one out here, but, um, you know, the, the big story I, I think this week is, uh, it's officially rivalry week for the big 10. Um, <laughs> uh, we have Michigan, Ohio state coming up on Tuesday, Indiana, Purdue over the weekend, some big showdowns for, uh, for bragging rights, I guess. Um, Conference supremacy, uh, the Big Ten title, you know, a lot riding on the line. Um, so we wanted to get into that, that a little bit. Um, and to help us chat about the first game, uh, we have Matt Brown of Land Grant Holy Land on with us, uh, SB Nation's Ohio State blog. Uh, Matt, how's it going? Hey, buddy. Uh, I'm doing okay. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Um, we won't keep you too long. I know I know you have a, a new kid. <laughs> so, um I'm sure she's causing trouble. So, <laughs> no, we 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 are in luck, my friend. She she is she is asleep. I've I've, I've been traveling this, um, this past week here, and so she's been kind of tuckered out and is very sleepy. And we are set. We there are, there are no distractions here. We can we can just talk <laughs> about the uh, the disappointment that is Ohio State basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let let's jump right into it. That that was the first thing I, I was going to ask. I remember having you on uh, before the season. And we both kind of were saying Ohio State seems like a a bubble team, so to speak. Um, doesn't quite seem to be going that way so far. Yeah, I, I mean, there's still mathematically a chance for Ohio State to make a tournament, just given who's left on their schedule right now. There's there's still there's a lot of, of potential RPI growth left on the table, but I don't think there's anything that we've really seen over the past couple of months that would indicate that Ohio State is likely to actually get there. Um, the, the, there's been some problems with, I mean, that's what we expect. I mean, one of the youngest teams in the entire country. There's been inconsistency, especially at the point guard position. It's been difficult to get Ohio State's playmakers in the position where they're actually able to have any kind of uh, efficient offense. And then you've had their presumed uh, leader and their best player, Mark Loving, the sole upperclassman in this rotation, just completely fall apart over the last month. You know, you couldn't score a single point against Rutgers. Uh, and, and, and their last game, he's been really inefficient for the past, you know, six or seven. And if he's not able to score at a at a, at a higher volume, uh, Ohio State's depending on a bunch of dudes who are undersized, inexperienced, or both. And that's shown when they've had to play against the better teams in the Big Ten because most of those games have even close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one of the odd things about Ohio State, or or at least the the thing that really jumps out when you kind of look at the schedule, look at the resume. 
Um, it's that bizarre win over Kentucky uh, in December. Um, you know, Ohio State, for the most part, they've taken care of business in the win, you know, quote unquote, winnable games. But have struggled against the top teams. Uh, that that seems to be the one exception. Uh, what what do you make of that game, and and how's the committee going to look at that? You know, it, it was it was weird. I I actually didn't get a chance to see it because I was covering the Las Vegas Bowl uh, for SBNation.com. Uh, at that same time, I was kind of following along with the game in the uh, in the press box. I remember thinking like. I'm, I wasn't really super invested in what was going on because it was a running joke among our newsrooms on how State was just going to get clown stuff uh, by Kentucky. And, you know, this this was in in, in early December, mid-December, mid-December, where I think we had very different opinions about, about what Kentucky is this season. And what was really surprising, you know, now that I've, I've gotten a bit, I had a chance to watch the clips of that game, and obviously I, I followed up with what happened, was how well Ohio State was able to battle with Kentucky down in the front court. Trevor Thompson, who is, uh, I would say at this point, probably an average to maybe slightly above average Big Ten front court player. Um, certainly not somebody who's on any NBA mock draft radar. He's not even really the, he may not even be Ohio State's best center. Um, really just dominated Kentucky and, and had his way and outplayed some dudes who are definitely going to be making some, some really big money. Uh, right now, I think the NC, the committee is going to look at that as that was a bad loss for Kentucky, and that's probably going to cost them a seed line. <laughs> And it's obviously the crown jewel of Ohio State's um, resume, as it were. And that might be what gets them into the NIT if they really struggle to finish the season. But unless they're able to get wins over both Iowa and Michigan State to close out the year, I, I think what the NCAA thinks about it, as far as Columbus is concerned, is probably pretty moot. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's kind of one of the things I, I also wanted to get to here. You know, obviously it's been kind of frustrating. Um, Ohio State hasn't knocked off a lot of – a lot of big wins this year, uh, but they are kind of chugging along. You know, as you mentioned, they do have a mathematical chance to to get into the NCAA tournament. Um, is, is this NCAA tournament or bust, or is there a way that Buckeye fans would accept an NIT bid, I guess? Well, I mean, uh, Ohio State basketball fans aren't very good. <laughs> I, I, I think just that. <laughs> Just generally, I think if you, if you go on Twitter and talk about this team, you're going to find people grousing about Mata or about whether, you know, whether the, 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 the coaching staff has lost their fastball, which I think is complete baloney because uh, when you replace everybody and, and you're bringing in people who are, who are so new and then at key positions are, are really undersized, like Ohio State is at uh, with their other point guard and at the wing, um, this is to be expected. And, you know, it's a little frustrating. Ohio State let a couple of winnable games get by them in the beginning of the year. They probably should have beaten Louisiana Tech. They should have beaten Texas um, uh, Pan American. Uh, and if they had won those two games, or Texas Arlington, excuse me, if they had won those two games, maybe their profile is in a little bit different position. Um, I, I, I don't think making the NIT, if they're successful, is the end of the world if the team is able to show some real growth and progress down the stretch. And that, that, that's what happened, you know, like seven years ago. The last time Ohio State didn't make the tournament when the Costa Cupas was their, was their centerpiece and they were really inexperienced all around the rest of the roster. They improved down the stretch. They won the NIT, uh, and they were able to kind of build that momentum into next season. And I think that's what really what, what people who are actually invested in Ohio State basketball are looking at at this point. Can we get a couple of games where Mark Loving is engaged and his shot is falling, that lets us, you know, have a more powerful, palpable sense of optimism for next year. So you have a couple of games here which where Ohio State is able to cut down on the turnovers, which has been an Achilles heel for them all season. Do we have an idea for who the primary ball handler is going to be? 
uh, for next year. There's still time to get that sorted out. There's still time to pick up another nice win or two. You know, if that happens in the NIT or, or somewhere else, I think that's okay. Uh, but if Ohio State kind of falls flat, loses four out of the next five games, gets stomped in the Big Ten tournament, and, you know, loses to, like, Robert Morris or something or Stony Brook in the first round of the NIT, that would be uh, – then, then the, I think there's going to be some real fire this offseason. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things I, I – I also wanted to follow up a little bit on that, and I don't want to get too off track here and too big picture um, – but the last couple of years, you know, it, it seems as if the team has regressed. Uh, you know, they make the Final Four in 2012. Uh, they follow up with an Elite Eight, then round of 64, 32. And, and this year, you know, it appears they're on track for the NIT. Um, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but should there be concern about the program? Should there be concern that maybe things are stalling out? Or is this just a one-year blip that uh, you expect things to get back on track next year? Well, so um, in, in my personal opinion, I think that um, what, you, what you're going to see a lot on Ohio State Twitter with people who really upset this coaching staff, I think that's ridiculous. But I do think that there's some concern. There's some reason for concern if things do not really improve next year. One of the uh, one of the frustrations I think over the past couple of seasons is that even though Ohio State's been a really strong recruiting team within the Big Ten and they've been very consistent that they have struggled to develop, to, especially over the last really five years, one, develop a secondary score with any regularity, and then two, uh, have players improve markedly from their freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior seasons. Uh, that happened a lot in the beginning of, of the Tasmania Ohio State era, I, I, most, most notably, I think, with Evan Turner, uh, who came in as a little bit of a fringe rotation player and left as the best player in college basketball uh, after after his <laughs> junior year. But, we, but, and so, but, it, but really... I think some of the improvements from some of the younger guys, uh, even on a much smaller scale, have not been as noticeable. So it's a little bit forgivable this season when, you know, you look at it and, uh, again, like everybody is an underclassman. They're, they're counting on production from people who don't know their roles for starting a really inexperienced point guard and then the dude is like five foot nine, maybe. Like that's, that's, that's understandable. But if we look at this for next year, if some of those guys don't develop, or if they're already as good as they're going to be. Like, Deshaun Tate might have peaked. He might be the best you can be as a six foot four player who's most comfortable in the post and can't shoot 50% of his free throws. That's possible. You know, a great effort, dude. Great if he's your fifth best player. Bad if he's your second, which, which is where things kind of are with Ohio State right now. Bates Diop is as good as he's going to be. If, if Jaquan Lyle is, is as good as he's going to be. If Daniel Giddens doesn't actually learn how to play basketball. And it's just <laughs> this, this overwhelming physical force who's going to swap five shots a game and then look lost. If those things don't happen, then I'll have to in pickle because they, they picked up this gigantic recruiting class last year, and they don't have the roster space to really pivot and make adjustments. And then if you've already got three seasons in a row where things have fallen a little bit, Ohio State's clearly misevaluated a couple of local prospects in Ohio who uh, did not get Ohio State offers and have gone on to do uh, really well for other programs. And there's, I think, a credible worry that that's happened again with the 2016 class where Ohio State has taken two dudes from Ohio and they might have taken the wrong two dudes. Uh, and then for <laughs> 2017, they, they have uh, they one they have one scholarship they can use for, for this class and next year's class. And right now they have three big men signed. They're, they don't have any other guards. They don't have any other wings coming in. They've only got one more scholarship to use. So if you've mis-evaluated your last big five-person recruiting class, where you already needed to have an uptick, 
And if you miss on two or three of those guys, and they've already missed on one of them because uh, Austin Grandstaff lasted six, like seven games and transferred. If you can't, if, if you can't make do with what you've got now, then you're looking at you know another two lost seasons. And then there, I think it, it's, it becomes reasonable to to think about making a change or, uh, or, or or doing something a little bit more drastic. Because I don't know if this is a program since it doesn't have like that deep fan base that can be you know kind of mm-hmm. mediocre for five years in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, but I guess the flip side, you know, we've been focusing on the negative. We've been focusing on what's been frustrating. Um, what What are some of the positives you've seen of Ohio State this year? What has you optimistic? Um, and especially over, you know, there's still five games left. Uh, there's still the Big Ten tournament and potentially some sort of postseason. Uh, what should fans be excited about? So there there are. I know you're right. I have been a little bit of a downer. <laughs> There are things I think you're really excited about. Ohio State fans for the last couple of years have watched really terrible front court play. Um, and, and, and this is coming from somebody who might have been the internet's lone defender of Amir Williams over the past couple of years. Like, best case scenario, uh, his effort was, was to be found lacking. Uh, and now Ohio State has two centers who absolutely, if nothing else, care. Um, they have mm-hmm. somebody who can who can who can catch the ball and can finish a little bit. Trevor Thompson, he's somebody who's big and he's going to get better. But who everyone I think is really excited about is Daniel Giddens. You know, true freshman. You know, big guy already. I think a plus impact defender within the Big Ten. Like you know, now that the Hammonds is leaving Purdue, you know, next year he's going to come in as, as one of the premier shot blockers and rim rim protectors uh, in the conference. Mm-hmm. He's a, an athletic force. That, you know, I, I joke he doesn't really know how to play basketball yet. His, his shot selection, uh, shot quality, and, and kind of spacing issues are, are not there. Um, but, but you can see somebody who cares so much about winning and being, really, and being good at basketball and training about his team and is able to do some things physically that Ohio State hasn't had in a couple of years. It's going to be really great to watch him develop. You know, if, it's he, if he's in the program for two more years, you have somebody who is a conference defensive player of the year candidate if not a player of the year candidate, um, mm-hmm. you have AJ Harris, who is you know who, who's, who's you know started to make a case for more playing time over the course of the year, and might be next season the single fastest player in the Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> he's 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 great at being able to get to the basket. He's he's shown uh, I think some improved passing ability. You know it's obviously not D'Angelo Russell, but but nobody is. Um, the, the 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 hit on him, he's tiny. And so, you know, which, you know it's, it's rare, I think, for a, a starting point guard on a good Big Ten caliber team to be that far under six feet. It, it happens sometimes, but it, it's a little bit unusual. But I think his physical tools outside of that uh, are there. If, if, if he becomes a little bit more consistent with that three-point shot, uh, which is not unreasonable, he could be a very, very good player for Ohio State. You have nights where, Katie, where, where Bates Diop blows up and is able to, to score inside and out and use his length. Cam Williams, Ohio State's kind of murky. Uh, uh, the Richard sophomore, you know, the shooting guard here from Baltimore, somebody who had struggled a little bit last season, and there was some concern who was going to fall out of the rotation. Uh, he is Ohio State's microwave right now. So you and and, and has been one of their, their best offensive threats when ball movement has really not been their strength. There's definitely pieces here, and everybody's got two or three more years at least of eligibility within the program to look forward to. And to say nothing of Nikki Mitchell, who has you know was in, has been injured and had NCAA eligibility issues when he's been on the court, despite being this huge dude, has been like a passing highlight reel. 
so there, 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 there's these guys who are getting better. Everybody, I think, has shown flashes of what they're capable of. You just have to hope that with another year, with a, with a different schedule, uh, I think their, their Big Ten slate next year should be in a little bit more in Ohio State's favor in terms of who comes to Columbus. Uh, they have, they're in a position where they're going to be probably a preseason top four team in the, in the league. So there, there, there should be some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it just means that you have to slog through, uh, you know, a couple more beatdowns, I think, at the end of this year to get there. <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the things, just to put it in a little perspective for our listeners as well, is, uh, you know, we've talked about they're a really young team. Uh, pretty much everybody has two or three years left. Uh, Ken Palm's experience rating, which, you know, adjusts for, you know, how – old a guy is uh it's not a perfect stat obviously but uh ohio state 346 out of what i think 351 teams um so th- they're not just young they're insanely young uh nationally which i i think speaks to you know the optimistic side uh and the fact that really just from a general sense uh they should get better i mean just in theory i guess <laughs> but um yeah i i, I mean even, i mean even even if if only half these guys take just a you know i'm not talking about some gigantic leap and bound but just a you know, a, a, a average one uh this it this goes from like an NIT 60 team to an NCAA 8 seed you know just yeah. you know overnight um and if, if if one or two of these people makes a bigger jump and you know that's possible Jaquan Lyle with a high four-star prospect he's somebody who has NBA aspirations has NBA size Daniel Giddens was a, a pretty elite prospect he, you know he did on the defensive side is already there for two of those guys make that jump Ohio State is uh you know is, is, a, is a pretty good single-digit seed um it's, it's just tough when you're starting when you're not Kentucky and you're starting so many true and registered <laughs> freshmen Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think a lot of it's just growing pains. Um, I I do agree with you. You know, talking about uh, when we were talking about earlier, you know, some of the potential concerns. Um, yeah, I mean, you do wonder about some of these guys how good they can get. You know, how how close they are to their ceilings. But certainly from a broad perspective, it, it looks like Ohio State should be on the rise next year. Um, yeah, but that's the hope. with big, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Take, going from big picture to, to small picture here, um, Ohio State has kind of a big game coming up on Tuesday. Uh, they get arch rival Michigan at home. Um, they're sort of retiring Evan Turner's number, uh, honoring it, what, whatever they want to call it. Uh, there's a jersey going up to the rafters. Um, what do you make of this game? Uh, how important is it? And uh, what's a matchup that, that you're going to be watching? Well, it's it's extremely important because uh, Ohio State, a thousand percent, cannot afford to lose this game if they have any hope of making the NCAA's. And if they do lose it, I mean, there's an outside chance they they this team could still miss the NIT. Um, I, if I if I remember this correctly, their their last five games are uh, I'm not in front of the computer, so I'm, I could be wrong. I believe it's home for Michigan uh, at Nebraska, home and away with Michigan State, and then home for Iowa. Um, mm-hmm. So you could easily, I mean, like it's not a stretch that you can lose all those games. You could definitely go one and four. And Michigan, uh, a team that I, I don't think is, is a ton better than Ohio State, uh, and, and it had some some injury and some consistency issues of, of their own. Like this is the game that they have to win. And so to bring in Evan Turner, whose you know biggest Ohio State moment was that you know, kind of at the buzzer near half court heave in the Big Ten title game to knock off Michigan, a replay that you're going to see a good jillion times. Uh, and, and probably your only chance left to get a, a real home court atmosphere going uh, in Columbus where 
you know, that's kind of a sneaky, apathetic, sneaky, not very good uh, arena anyway. Um, and that's, that's, that's going to be big. Uh, I don't. I. I I think Ohio State really has to win. They're going to have to. They're going to have to start quickly. Uh, and I'm. I think it's really kind of a coin flip sort of game. It's, it's, the, the, the key is really going to be Mark Loving because if Mark Loving is shooting seven and is disinterested in getting back on defense and his, his confidence isn't there, I don't see a way Ohio State can beat anybody left on their schedule, including Nebraska. But if he's engaged, especially if he, he's able to hit a three early, get that confidence going, and be selective about what shots he's taking. Uh, then I think the Buckeyes can ride the emotion that they have. They're going to have coming into this building and pick up a close, needed victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree in terms of importance. Um, it, it's hard to see Ohio State getting an at-large bid without winning this game. Um, I'm sure it's possible with some sort of scenario, uh, but certainly the odds would take a big hit. Um, I I do. I think from a general sense, Michigan's probably the better team, but uh, I agree, you know, they're not world's better. You know, it's not like the last year's Kentucky team is coming into town or something. Um, but uh, w- one of the matchups I'm, I'm particularly interested to see is uh, I think Ohio State has a lot of length on the wing. Um, I definitely don't think it's a lockdown group, but I think, uh, you know, with Zach Irvin, with Duncan Robinson, which is Michigan's run a lot of offense through them this year. I think that's going to be a, a big matchup to watch um, and ultimately uh, could determine who wins the game. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it should be a good one. Uh, it's always fun, you know, a rivalry battle, obviously. Um, but, uh, but Matt, th- thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, any final thoughts here on Michigan, Ohio state, uh, Ohio state, uh, the big 10, I guess, uh, before we let you go. I, I, my, my only thought would be, uh, I am, I'm excited to see what the conference is able to do in the actual tournament. I feel like, as a whole, uh, this is where the, I think I feel like this is the worst the Big Ten has been in, in several seasons. Not just at the bottom, which is where it's been historically, you know, a tire fire here with Rutgers and, and Minnesota just totally falling off the rails. Um, but I, I feel like the middle is not as strong either. This is this is the worst Ohio State team in maybe eight years. This is the worst Wisconsin team in probably longer than that. I don't feel like this is a great Michigan squad compared to some of the Michigan squads that we've seen recently. And even some of the top end of the conference, your Purdue's um, and, and your Maryland's are, are not awash with, with super quality wins and, and they have some significant roster flaws. Um, so I, I'm going to be interested to see what, what they're able to do in the postseason if they're able to flip that narrative a little bit and what they're going to, what they're going to look like moving forward because, you know, in the last several years, they've really kind of set the standard as being one of the one or two premier basketball conferences in the country with their depth. And I think they've really taken a step back uh, from that for this season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Um, I, I think if, if you did take an evaluation, which is a super flawed, uh, but if you did take Minnesota and Rutgers out, I, I think the big 10 holds up relatively well, but um, yeah, I mean, you're talking about two of the worst teams the big 10 has had in decades. Uh, both in the same. I don't year, think so it's oh. garbage in the Mac. Like, oh, excuse this, me, this, sorry, this, you cut out. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sorry. No, I don't think they've had anybody as bad as this year's Rutgers team ever. Like, no, this is not a bad Big Ten team. This Rutgers team is a bad Mac team. It is a, mm-hmm. it is a potentially a below average MEAC team. Like St. <laughs> Peter's could beat them again. Like, and I'm not saying that to be mean. It's just like it's this is. This is nearly this is unprecedented for a conference of the Big Ten stature to have a team that is struggling this badly, and, and you know just to spend with their best player. 
Mm-hmm. And and I mean again, and then you also have Minnesota, who hasn't won a, a conference game. But but I'm excited for the Minnesota Rutgers 0 and 14 showdown. Which I yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> I will do literally anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, uh, Matt, thanks for joining us, and and we appreciate your comments here. You bet. Take care. Thanks. Uh, again, as a reminder, everyone, that was Matt Brown from uh, Land Grant Holy Land. He's also the uh, SB Nation College. Uh, sports manager, so uh, definitely the right guy to come in here and chat about uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and and where the the Buckeyes are are going to be headed over the next couple of years. But uh, but with that, I, I did want to jump into the other big rivalry game here uh, this week. Unfortunately, uh, we were trying to get another guest on here to chat about uh, Indiana Purdue. Um, maybe maybe excuse me. <laughs> um, maybe we can get a another podcast here later in the week to chat about it a little in a little more detail. Um, but I am really intrigued, uh, to watch this game as I'm sure most big 10 fans are, uh, both, both teams are really in that big 10 title hunt. Oh, I shouldn't say big 10 title hunt, but they're in that top group. They're both competing for a double buy in the big 10 tournament. Both are pretty safe. I mean, they're, virtual locks at this point to make the NCAA tournament in some form, but they're both in that five to eight, nine range um, where you can potentially move up a couple uh, seeds without a lot of trouble by just scoring a couple more wins. Uh, You know, a really volatile group of teams there. So I, I think this is a huge game for both teams in that aspect. And obviously from the rivalry side side of things, uh, Purdue is kind of, kicked butt uh, the last couple of years here in this rivalry and the Hoosiers certainly want to want to end the, uh, end those struggles. So I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see uh, who ultimately does come out on top. I think the key to this game is really going to be that wing group. Uh, I know I talked about that with the Michigan Ohio state game as well, but I think, I think Purdue is clearly going to dominate up front. Um, you know, you can get into, well, can Indiana slow them down a little bit? Uh, how much do they dominate? I, I think Purdue is going to dominate up front, but it's on that wing group. You know, uh, Anobi, uh, Hartman, Troy Williams um, versus, you know, Swanigan, Edwards, those types of guys. Who comes up bigger, um, and particularly on that defensive end? Um, because Purdue is going to have a lot more size, um, but, you know, Indiana's going to have that speed. They're going to have that ability to attack and transition. I don't, you know, a lot of times people uh, will say the backcourt is the thing to watch with Purdue's games just because uh, it's not great uh, for the Boilermakers, uh, to be frank. Um, They do struggle with turnovers. They struggle with mental errors, uh, things like that. I mean, you saw it in last Saturday's Michigan game. Frankly, I thought Purdue had no business losing that game as you watched it. but really they just got outworked and committed too many mental errors. And I think, uh, but I I don't think this is an Indiana backcourt that's going to be able to apply the pressure uh, as well as other teams. So I don't think that's going to be the battle to watch. I really think it's going to be that wing group, Um, you know, who who comes out on top. Can an OBB a big factor in transition again? Will Troy Williams be, you know, uh, as well, will he be a factor in transition and, um, how much damage is Swanigan going to be able to do against some of these guys on the offensive end? I think it's going to be a, a big factor in, in determining who wins this game. Um, 
Again, for, for Purdue, this is really about getting that double bye in the Big Ten tournament, really jumping up a seed or two in the NCAA tournament. Um, for Indiana, you know, the same things, but also uh, the Hoosiers still, they're very much in this Big Ten title hunt. Um, I, I think they are a, a long shot, and I want to talk about the, the Big Ten title race in a couple minutes here, but um, this is a game they need to win. You know, uh, they do get Nebraska before they play Purdue uh, on Saturday, but these are two games they really need to win. They're both coming at home, uh, two big games in Bloomington. They get through these, and they have a, a legitimate fighting chance to win the Big Ten. Uh, they drop one of these, it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding. But uh, it, it is fun, though. I will say it's fun to have a lot on the line in what's probably the Big Ten's best basketball rivalry. Um, I know there's a lot of debate uh, about what, you know, what's the best rivalry year to year, so on and so forth. But overall, definitely the Big Ten's best basketball rivalry. And, it, and it's fun for it to matter and to have significance. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be hugged up <laughs> plenty more uh, before, before Saturday's game. But uh, we're moving on from that. The last thing I wanted to get into here a little bit, um, we spent uh, probably too much time on this podcast chatting about the bubble teams who's going to make it, who's safe. Um, so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about who's in the running for the, uh, the Big Ten title, who, who can take home the, the crown, so to speak. I, obviously, those teams are, have put in the work, and frankly, they deserve a little bit of, a, little bit of attention. Um, so uh, I want to talk about each contender, break down their upcoming schedule a little bit here. Uh, we'll start first with the, the Iowa Hawkeyes, uh, Iowa they're leading the conference race 11 and two. They have a one game lead and really they're sitting uh, pretty <laughs> sitting in great shape uh, coming into this final five game stretch. They do have a few really challenging games. Uh, they get Indiana at home. Uh, they get Michigan on the road, um, but really, you know, they're going to be significant favorites in all these games. Um, three of them, there are 75 Kempom gives them 75% chance or greater uh, to win the game. Um, and all of them, they have at least a 60% chance to win, uh, according to Kempom right now. But, um, and, and again, you know, when you actually sit back and think about it, though, in terms of sharing, you know, finishing first in the conference, um, you know, really it's four games because they can afford to, to lose one because they have the one game lead. Um, so really, it, it's it's just about four games, and especially you know they get Penn State on the road uh, this Wednesday. They they win that game, and it and it's really three games. They just have to win three games to clinch a share of uh, of the um, of the Big Ten title. Um, moving on from from them, I talked about Indiana a little bit, but um, they get Nebraska at home, they get Purdue at home, Illinois on the road, Iowa on the road, and then Maryland at home. Um, and, and that's one of the other things to note as well. You know, Indiana, Maryland, both tied with three losses. They're one game back from Iowa. But um, they uh, they do play each other. You know, Indiana and Maryland do play each other. So one of them has to lose uh, at least once, you know, obviously. <laughs> so, and, and the thing is, is I, I don't think the loser has any realistic chance of, of taking home the, the conference title. And, and I say it. For this reason, you know, we'll say, um, you know, just for talking point here, Indiana does lose to Maryland. Um, so they would have four conference losses in that scenario. Even if they win out, 
Um, they now need Iowa to lose twice. Uh, they do play Iowa, but they're going to need them to lose another game. And considering Iowa's only lost two games in the last, like, 15, <laughs> um, that's probably asking a little bit much. So I, I think that that one, I know it is the last game of the conference season. Um, so we really won't get a, a look ahead, so to speak, from that game. But uh, I think the loser is, is pretty much done uh, for any realistic chance uh, to, to get a piece of the Big Ten, and it, especially to win it outright. But the uh, the final major contender, I would say, uh, Maryland, um, again, they're tied with Indiana at three conference losses. They get Minnesota on the road, Michigan at home, Purdue on the road, Illinois at home, Indiana on the road. Uh, they by far have the most difficult stretch coming up. They, they're major favorites against Minnesota, Michigan, and Illinois, but they have lower than 40% odds to beat Purdue and to beat Indiana. Um, so the thing is, is that, you know, they're, they're very look, likely looking at at least two more losses um, down the stretch here. And, and certainly, they lose two more, they're going to have no chance to hang with Iowa and probably not even to hang with Indiana, given how things are, are sitting. Um, outside of those three, I, you know, I, I guess you have to say Michigan and Wisconsin have a, uh, a mathematical chance, so to speak. Um, they're both only back two games. But, uh, you know, Michigan has – they get Maryland on the road. They get Wisconsin on the road. Um, obviously, who, whoever loses that Michigan-Wisconsin game has no chance, <laughs> um, you know, no realistic chance at all to, to contend. Um, likewise, Wisconsin uh, gets uh, some games. They get Michigan State on the road. They get Iowa on the road. <laughs> they get Purdue on the road. Um, rival Minnesota on the road. Minnesota's not great, but rivalry games. Uh, they get Michigan at home. Um, so it, it, it's just hard to imagine, you know, Michigan or Wisconsin winning out, which they would probably need to do to have a realistic chance, uh, to catch Iowa here in, in the conference race. But, but overall, I, I, I'd say my big point here is, um, you know, you hate to pick the favorite because nobody likes that. It's not interesting, but, uh, it's hard to pick against Iowa. Um, cause again, you know, they win four more, four of their last five, and they automatically clinch. And given the fact that Indiana has to play at Iowa, uh, Maryland has a tough schedule, uh, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin are, are fringe bets at, at all. Um, you know, you have to think that I, Iowa probably can afford to lose two of these last fives um, and still get a share of the title. And given the fact that they're going to be pretty big favorites in three of them, maybe four, when all is said and done, um, you, you have to like their odds. But, uh, but yeah, so I guess uh, if you're betting, bet on Iowa <laughs> at this point. But, uh, but outside of that, um, that's, all, that's all we have. Um, again, great week of conference action coming up. Looking forward to all the games. Uh, again, my name is Thomas Bendit. I'm the manager of uh, PT Powerhouse. You can follow me on Twitter at tbendit. Um, our, our Twitter handle for the, for the site is at BT Powerhouse, and, and definitely check us out. And we appreciate you uh, listening to the podcast, and hopefully we'll be back shortly with another one. Thanks, guys.